The Adam Crowley Show. Love you, 970 ESPN. It's just, Adam Crowley, I think it is. He's a good guy. He really is. He's a good host. I enjoy being, you know, and now we're talking about a weekly spot of the show. And I'm just telling Adam, I better be picked. Freebies are open. Adam Crowley on ESPN Pittsburgh. Today, the Crowley Show got a private audience with Lord Stanley's Cup, baby! Now, the Cup did come to the building today, not to visit Madden, not to visit anybody in particular, but just so that everyone could come in, take pictures, be cute with it. We got invited to a private viewing with the Stanley Cup, and there's only one reason for that. Ratings up 700%. The cup itself respects our hockey talk. The cup wanted to be in the presence of great hockey talk. Now, unfortunately for Stat Pat, he was not invited. We haven't seen Harry Carey since the end of yesterday's show. Don't know what's going on there. But me, Tom, and Brian all got to check out the cup. And it was sweet. My mouth still tastes metallic-y. I kissed her. I licked her. I got the first. Then I saw the back-to-back Stanley Cup champion Penguins engraved in that beautiful woman. I'm sorry. I'm going to have to step out for a cigarette. Just give me a second here. You found the Crowley Show where your mom listens, and you should too. 412-922-2874 is the number to call, or you can join the cast of Dozens. And follow me on Twitter, at underscore Adam Crowley. Hornquist is out for game four. This much we do know. We don't know what happened to him. We don't know what's hurt. We don't know how long he's going to be out. Although, Mike Sullivan did say he's going to be day-to-day. There's a lot of talk around town about the possible replacement for Patrick Hornquist, who can fill his shoes, who can provide the same sort of sandpaper and grit he can provide in. Here's the deal, peeps. Nobody can. Patrick Hornquist is the only player in the league who plays the way that he does. There are players who have net front presence. There are players who go into the corner and you're afraid your head's going to fall off. But none of them have the mentality that Patrick Hornquist has. His mentality is probably what led to him getting hurt in the first place. That guy just don't give a rip about his body. That guy cares about one thing and one thing only. It ain't statistics. It's about winning hockey games and winning hockey games this time of the year. A lot of people have been kicking around Zach Aston Reese as a possible quote-unquote replacement. I'm sorry to say he ain't going to hold a candle to Patrick Hornquist. Now, I think the Penguins can still survive this series without him, but... Let's not pretend like he's easily replaceable. Hell, some statistics will actually bear that out. You ready, Pat? What do you need from me, Adam? I need some statistics on the Penguins' power play with Patrick Hornquist and without Patrick Hornquist. Okay, uh, let me just look here. I I know I have the paper somewhere. Just give me half a second here. Okay, I got it right here. Shouldn't you be using a computer? It's 2018. I write things out. 
Penguins power play in 2017 and 2018 with Patrick Horquist clicked at 26.2%. What about without him? It's kind of important. I didn't hear you ask that part. 12.9% without him. Okay, so that's 26.2% with Patrick Hornquist and 12.9% without him. That's an issue. But I do think the Penguins, five-on-five, are capable of beating Philadelphia, and they don't necessarily need the power play to be great. They scored three power play goals in game number three, and they won 5-1. to Without the power play goals, they still win the game. They still outplayed Philadelphia 5v5. They're going to be fine in this series. What I worry about is next series or beyond. If Patrick Hornquist is out for a long period of time, he does one thing that we don't see a lot of on this team. And I'm worried that if the playoffs continue without him, the Penguins are sorely going to miss his net front presence and his mentality. Brian Rust will go to the net, sure. Sidney Crosby will play around the net, sure. Derek Broussard will go to the dirty areas, fine. The fourth line has to. That's their job. But none of them do it as well as Patrick Hornquist. And none of them are willing to take the beating that he takes on every single freaking shift. Brian Rust is always the first guy to the net, but he's not often the last guy standing. Patrick Hornquist is always there, typically first, and he's always the last guy standing, typically with the puck in the back of the net or the goalie pissed off to high heaven. They don't have that guy. They'll survive this series without him, but when you're playing a good team like Columbus or you're playing a good team like Washington, let's face it, it'll be Columbus, you need to have that presence over the seven-game series to help wear them down. And Bobrovsky's been awful against the Penguins, I think in large part due to the fact that he has to deal with that guy for 20 minutes every night when he's out there on the ice. We're going to talk to Brian Metzer coming up at 420 about this, what he thinks about the loss of Patrick Hornquist. How about this? Sean Couturier, or Coots, as the Philadelphia media calls him, how lame is that, is questionable, I'd put him for game number four in Philadelphia tomorrow night. Radko Gudis took out his knee, and I tweeted the video at underscore Adam Crowley, in a drill where really there shouldn't have been any contact. Now, Flyers fans have hopped into my mentions, and they've said, well, the puck was there. He was just trying to play the puck. Okay, then play the puck. Don't play the body. If there's one person on the Flyers who's dumb enough to injure one of their star players, it is Radko Gudis. It's like when Matt Cook got into it with Evgeny Malkin one time in practice. Only Matt Cook would be dumb enough to do that. I'm not upset about it, though. The way Flyers fans treat Sidney Crosby, the way that Philadelphia treats athletes in general, I don't have any sympathy when one of theirs gets hurt. And maybe that makes me no better than them, but I am. Because I host an afternoon sports show, and I'm a classy guy. If Sean Couturier is hurt, why am I supposed to feel bad? Patrick Hornquist is hurt. Crystal Tang was hurt last year. Carl Hagelin was hurt last year. Hell, Patrick Hornquist was hurt last year for six games in the conference final. I have zero sympathy for injuries that the other team suffers, certainly when those injuries are brought upon by stupidity 
by one of the worst players on their roster. I think the most surprising part of the video, and again, check it out, underscore Adam Crowley on Twitter, is that a Flyers goalie made a save. Stan asked today on his show, is this a must-win game on Wednesday coming up for the Flyers? Love you, Stan. Easiest question you've ever asked. Duh! It's a must-win game. Why do we always do this? It always gets boiled down to a question, and more times than not, the question's dumb. Again, not attacking Stan, just more attacking the industry. Can the Penguins survive without Patrick Hardquist? Why do you have to ask that question, Pat? Is it a must-win for the Flyers? Stop it! These are the questions that get asked all throughout the sports media landscape. Of course, it's a must-win. I know it. You know it. The Flyers know it. Stan knows it. If they lose this game, they're done. I think they're done already. They're certainly done without coots. But if they lose on Wednesday at home and totally cede home ice advantage back to the Penguins, the fat lady, as she always does at Philadelphia anyhow, will be singing. 412-922-2874. I need some statistics on Claude Giroux, stat, Pat. Uh, Claude Giroux was a plus 28 in the regular season, Adam. <laughs> and he tallied 102 points in 82 games. That's 20 more points than games played. That's a really good year. He's a great player. I don't need your opinions, stat, Pat. Just give me the numbers, and I'll tell you how good of a season it was. It was a great season. He's a great player. But that billing of Crosby versus Giroux has been in absolute farce. A joke. It's laughable. Because while Giroux had that great season with 102 points, really a heart trophy caliber season, he's been awful in the playoffs. Right, Pat? Yeah, Giroux's got one point in three games. That's .33 points per game, and he's a minus four. In fact, Giroux has more penalty minutes, two, then he has points. Crosby's got seven points in three games. Giroux's got one. Crosby's a plus six overall and a plus six on Claude Giroux. Suck on that, you red-headed jackass. What happened to that baton? The Penguins are in good shape, even without Patrick Hornquist. They're in great shape if Sean Couturier is unable to play. We'll get into further detail coming up at 440 about the matchups in this series and why the Penguins have just had their way with Philadelphia. I know that the Penguins lost game two, and I know they lost by four goals, and you might think they didn't play very well. They did everything but put the puck in the back of the net, which is important, but the matchup still went in the Penguins' favor. We'll get to it coming up in a half hour. Tyler Glass now was not good last night. Here's why. He's not good. But he's got raw ability. He's got good stuff. He throws the ball hard. He can spin it. But the benefit of the doubt seems to go to the Pirates because of what they've done with some starters that they can fix this guy. Some say the Pirates have fixed guys before and they'll do it again with Glass now. I'm not so sure. They did re-energize the career of A.J. Burnett. He was done with the Yankees prior to coming to Pittsburgh, they did 
reinvigorate Edinson Volquez, who was junk before coming here to the Pittsburgh Pirates, and Francisco Liriano won two Comeback Player of the Year awards, not because he was coming back from injury, but because he was coming back from sucking ass. So they fixed three guys. But that was with Jim Benedict in the fold. People talk about Ray Searage being the pitcher's whisperer, and okay, I get it a little bit. I think Searage is a good pitching coach. But not every pitching coach can fix every guy. Not every pitching coach can polish the turd. And now look at the success that Charlie Morton and Garrett Cole have had outside of Pittsburgh. Morton had a 4.39 ERA in Pittsburgh. Hey, this is where I'm supposed to come in. Cole had a 3.5 ERA in Pittsburgh. Cole was certainly respectable. Morton had his years. But Morton in Houston had a 3.33 ERA thus far. And Cole, albeit in three starts, has struck out 36 in 21 innings. He's got an ERA of 1.29. Dejan Kovacevic blocked me on Twitter for some reason, probably because I'm one of the only people who honestly discussed what happened on this radio show. And we got into a Twitter argument years ago about Charlie Morton, and I said Morton would be better if they allowed him to throw the curveball a little bit more. He'd just be better. You can't rely on one pitch. The sinker's great, but lefties figured it out. You have to come up with a plan B. We talk about plan B all the time on this show, and not just because I was trying to not get women pregnant in college. Well, I was right on that one, Dejan. How about that? Blocking me. Blocking me like plan B. He's got the curveball working. He's a great pitcher now in Houston. And Garrett Cole, as I mentioned, 36 strikeouts in 21 innings. An ERA of 1.29. If the Pirates were so good at fixing pitchers, then why didn't they have those pitchers pitching at this level here in Pittsburgh? But to get to the bigger point, I have no faith, zero faith, none, that they can get more out of Tyler Glass now. If Garrett Cole's going to pitch and suck in his final year in Pittsburgh, and Charlie Morton is not going to have the same success here as he's having in Houston, then why would I think that they can get something out of a guy who's never shown that he can give anything? I don't. I won't. I shan't. And we'll see if I'm wrong. I hope I am. Seems like a good dude. He's got all kinds of raw ability. But I'm not just going to buy in hook, line, and sinker that eventually this guy's going to figure it out. He probably won't. The track record tells us that's the case. Coming up next, back to playoff hockey. No coots, maybe? For Philadelphia, Radko Gudis hurting someone? <gasps> I'm stunned. And what do the Penguins do without Patrick Hornquist, who we know won't play on Wednesday? You're listening to The Crowley Show. SchultzFord.com. Where? SchultzFord.com. SchultzFord.com. $500 best price guarantee. SchultzFord.com. SchultzFord.com. I've been at him all day long. No. I've been really trying to. Oh, I wanted to tell you about Morton's 4.39 really, ERA. Really, Stat Pat? I wanted to. Get, look, I feel like I deserve my. Can you be uh, quiet during the break? I yeah. deserve. Seriously. I deserve my deserve time anything. in the sunshine. Nothing. I will.
Back in college, I used to smoke a bunch of cigarettes. Uh, now I will from time to time. And my wife always says, Adam, you're going to die, you stupid idiot. If you've got Radko Gudis on your hockey team, you're dumb. Because eventually someone's going to get hurt. And today it was Sean Couturier in practice. Joining us now to discuss... Brian Metzer of the Penguins Radio Network. Before we get to Brian, uh, you did not appreciate that analogy? Oh, no, 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 no. Sorry, I made a face. That's what you did make a face. Yeah, yeah, no, I'm sorry. No, I heard a bad edit in the song that Tom was playing. Oh, boy. Yeah, I think Joe made a bad edit on that. Bad back uh, in his day. So I heard that, and it messed with my radio sensibilities. So I mm, gave the, with mine the too. nasty look towards Tom. Like, what the hell is going on? WTF, Tom. That's what I was doing. Not you. Sorry to throw you off. What the hell was going on with Radko Gudis at practice today, Brian Metzger? Did you see that video? I did. And, uh, to, to your analogy, it's sort of like, you know, when people own exotic animals and they, and they say they could turn on you at any moment, they want an alligator yes. or a crocodile or a lion or a tiger. That's what you get with Radko Gudis. And while I'm not certain he meant to do that because it looks like he was running a drill of his own right in the path of one of their star players, which seems absurd, he's now potentially taken out one of the the most productive flyers in this series, and that's bad news for them. It is very bad news for them. What would you put the odds of them winning this series at, Mets, if they had Couturier being down two games to one? And what would you say the odds would be if they didn't have Couturier now being down two games to one? Well, I don't know that they have any chance without Couturier, so there's really no odds. Uh, If they were going to come back, and I... I'm not a good odds maker, my friend, but if they were going to do it, he would have been a main player because you and I have talked about this. He is the guy that seems to find a way to needle under the skin of Evgeny Malkin to agitate him. He was agitating Patrick Hornquist a little bit, and he went out there and scored some some nice points in game two. I mean, the Nola pass to Nola Patrick on the power play the other day was just spectacular. I was really impressed by that. And this is a kid that's really come into his own offensively. Great defensive player. You take him out of the mix. They don't have a guy with that size, with that reach, with that pedigree that can do all the things he can do. Yeah, Patrick has started to grow, and he can help offset the loss of Couturier, and he's probably going to have to be the number one center if he's out. But that doesn't leave you many other options down the middle. I mean, what's Philpola going to slide up and be your number two center now? I don't know if I like that look at all. Ew, gross. No, that's terrible. They don't have a chance to win the series if Valtteri Philpola is their second-line center. A good player in his right whenever he was... Younger, but the guy is skating in quicksand now. You're 100% right about all of that. Let's focus now on the Patrick Hornquist injury. Who can replace what he brings? I don't think anybody can from a mindset standpoint, but I think Zach Aston Reese can play his game a little bit. At least that's the kind of player he's been billed as. I was just going to say, you took the words out of my mouth, Zartan is the man. I mean, I just would love to see him slide up there. It's not going to happen as of the lines today anyway. Uh, and, and it might be something they'll look at in-game a little bit. Now, you know, it might not be fair to say that he could do everything that Hornquist can, Just be, and I know you didn't say that, but, I mean, he has the size. He's good and tight. I love his hands and his stick-handling ability in very, in very tight quarters. He seems to be able to think with the puck, turn it forehand, backhand off of rebound opportunities. So maybe that's something we might see on the power play. If Patrick Hornquist is in the, isn't available moving beyond, you know, the next game, maybe Zach Aston Reese gets out there and, and can play that net front presence because when they've used Jake Gensel out there, I don't see him being near as effective. He's a guy that 
tries to get a little too finessey when he's in front of the net. He, he doesn't use his body to even try and take the goaltender's eyes away, and I know he's not really big enough to do that, but even when he is in front, he's not screening. He's turning and trying to make a skill play on the puck, and, and you know, in that same play, Hornquist is a guy that just sort of stands there and bangs around and beats up the defenseman and beats up the goaltender. So I think Zach Aston Reese is a good guy that could potentially slide in there, and maybe th- this is off the wall, but I mean, if based on who they have to insert into the lineup, and right now it looks like it's going to be Dominic uh, Simone, I don't know that he can do it. I'd love to maybe see them try if they can find a way to get him into the lineup, maybe a Juris or a Rowney, because they have size to do that net front stuff, but they don't have the skill. So it's probably Zach Aston Reese, all of that said. Uh, and he's a guy that's proven to be able to do it in tight quarters. So I'll leave it at that. Brian Metzger of the Penguins Radio Network joining me here on the Crowley Show. The power play has not at all been the same whenever Patrick Hornquist has not been in the lineup. 26.2% with him, 12.9% without him. I think one guy who could pick up the slack a little bit in terms of production, obviously doesn't play the same way, is Phil Kessel. Phil Kessel has not been himself, his typical Phil Kessel playoff dude in these first three games. I do think he played a lot better in game number three, if his production can take off a little bit, then perhaps they won't miss the absence of the production from Patrick Hornquist. Yeah, I think that's exactly right. Uh, it's interesting to me. He only has four shots on goal in the series, 14 attempts overall. Uh, and that's a guy that we know when he's feeling good about his game, he's blasting the puck from all over the place. Even when he's not hitting the net, he's at least attempting to take those shots. So I guess the 14 attempts is good, but I would like to see more than four on the goal. He looks like he's uh, maybe dealing with a little something, whatever that may be. We all thought that at the end of the season. I know you brought it up a couple weeks ago when we got together for a conversation. And um, he, he has his Ironman streak, so he doesn't want to give that up. He's not going to sit down. He made a really nice pass to set up the Broussard goal uh, whenever that goal was scored on the power play. Maybe he becomes a little bit more of a playmaker again, but he's got to be a guy that's shooting the puck, putting it towards the net, because even when he doesn't score, it's coming with such great velocity that it's creating a great rebound opportunity if a goaltender makes a save. He's kicking it out, and a lot of times he has no clue where it's going, and it allows guys like Sidney Crosby on the power play to get his stick active in and around the net. So look for Phil to maybe start trying to shoot a little more from that left faceoff dot simply because other teams now maybe don't fear that because he hasn't been doing it mm-hmm. doing it as much. And you know what? It might be open now because they're going to look at the, the tape of Evgeny Malkin and Justin Schultz scoring one-time goals on the power play in the last game, Adam. That alone might be enough to open up some lanes for Phil Kessel to start firing pucks through there again. From a psychological standpoint, I imagine that Brian Elliott's going to sleep a lot better tonight without Patrick Hornquist being in the lineup tomorrow, no? Oh, there's no doubt about it. I mean, you think any goaltender in this league that's had to play against him, first of all, they wish they had earplugs because you know his mouth is running nonstop, and he's bumping you. He's getting all in your dance space, and it's got to be very uncomfortable to try and stop pucks that way. So that alone is probably going to help Brian Elliott. Though, based on what we've seen in this series, I, I just... I don't know how they can continue to stick with him. I know he was good in game two, but that was really just a result of pucks hitting him. For me, he didn't seem to react until the puck hit his arm or hit his leg or hit him somewhere. Late in that game, he seemed a little bit more locked in, but the Penguins started to light him up again in game three. And uh, when you get to a situation now where maybe they go down three games to one if they lose again, do you keep, do you stick with him? I guess you have to because you rode him that far. I don't know that Mrazic's the answer, but Ryan Elliott's not been good. Taking Hornquist out can only help him, though.
Trap. It's a beaver bear with a bird's eye view, snapping shutters at the Springdale Cheswick ramp, heading on north on 28. Keep your back door closed and pull back them toes, else you're going to be caught in a pose. It's the Smoker Report. You see a Miss Piggy, Mama Bear, Baby Bear, Bear in the Bushes, or a Bear in the Air, you give us a holler and we'll get you home without that extra freight. And remember, you always keep your shiny side up and your skin's on the ground. He's found and down. I thought if the Flyers were going to win this series or at least put up a fight, Mets, that Claude Giroux would have to have an impact, and I suppose he still can. But if there was a baton passing in 2012, Sidney Crosby's got the baton locked away in a safe somewhere right now. Yeah, he, he definitely stole it back shortly thereafter the series ended in 2012, I'm guessing, because um, for as good a year as Claude Giroux's had this season, it's been the Sidney Crosby show for years and years and years, as we know. And in this series, it's the Sidney Crosby show. He is on fire. Uh, this is some of the the best hockey we've seen early on in a playoff run from Sidney. He's had some really impressive playoff runs. But I think that orange and black just gets him going at him. And yeah. Giroux has got to be a guy that's got to uh, you know, raise the level of his game. I mean, he, playing the left wing, though, now without Couturier, they may have to slide him back to center which then takes his offensive game down a notch, and it's not necessarily been there as much in this series. And if that's the case, that could be bad news for them. Because I think that's the, re- the main reason why Giroux had a huge offensive season this year. He's on the left wing. It's probably of the three positions among forwards the least responsibility, if you will. And it's, it's not usually a, a position that requires you to do much more than cover your point and then get off to the races and score some goals. So, I think he took full advantage of that. If he has to move back to center, I don't know that he's going to help them as offensively as they would like. Couldn't agree more. Brian Metzger, the Penguins Radio Network, joining us here on the Crowley Show. Brian, this defense of the Penguins was much maligned coming in. People didn't think that they'd be able to flip the switch, didn't think they'd be able to play well. But I always liked the personnel. You and I talked about it. I did think that they'd be able to flip the switch. They are giving up the second fewest shots in the National Hockey League right now in the playoffs. They are giving up the second fewest goals in the playoffs right now, we've seen Chad Ruedel block a bunch of shots for these Penguins. Why have they been so good in the back end? I think they've been great. What's well, interesting, uh, and I know Staggy and I were talking about this on the postgame show the other night, Alexiak's not getting a lot of ice time right now, mm-hmm. and that's because he's not involved in their PK, so they're protecting him a little bit. Justin Schultz is getting some power play time, but his numbers are a little bit down, I guess, in comparison to some of the other guys, so they're really starting to ride the top four defensemen pretty heavily. Uh, and one of those is Chad Ruido. You just pointed to him. He's killing a ton of penalties. He's out there just playing a sound game. He's not overthinking it. And generally, uh, going back to Chris, Chris Letang playing 25, 26 minutes a night, seems like that's got him feeling pretty comfortable again, which is in turn then helped Brian Dumoulin feel comfortable. So those guys are just going out, simplifying the approach. Still a couple of mental mistakes in the defensive zone from time to time. But I just like the way that they're quickly getting the puck up to the forwards. They're starting that quick strike offense again, hitting the forwards with speed. That's how this team wins, and it's working so far in this playoff series. Now, is that indicative of them really flipping a switch and being all that much more improved defensively as opposed to maybe the Flyers being a little bit more dumbed down? If, you know, Can this work against another opponent? I guess we'll find out if they advance, but for right now it looks pretty darn good to me. Mike Sullivan said that Broussard played his best game since coming back from injury. Uh, would you agree? And if you do, it had to have been difficult because 
the line mates were switching constantly because they were on special teams for 25 minutes in game number three. Yeah, he's starting to look like that big game brass that we all heard about. and We've seen it against the Penguins. He's always been a very dangerous playoff player. He, he seems to be locked into this series now. He made a really nice strength play in game two, drawing a penalty. It ended up being a hook. I thought it should have been an interference call. Scored the big power play goal the other night. He's not afraid to shoot the puck. I think his face-off uh, skills have started to shine through a little bit more. He's never been that awesome a face-off guy, but that part of his game is there. and doesn't seem to matter who they have him with right now. He's just out there managing his assignments, playing pretty well defensively, and he's chipping in offensively. So, yeah, I could see why the coach would read that assessment or come up with that assessment of Derek Broussard, and that's great news for the Penguins because when you have Sid and Gino doing what they're doing, to then have Broussard come in and be that strong number three, and I want to give a stick tap to Riley Sheehan as well. He's, Absolutely. he's been doing yeoman's work on the penalty kill. Seven minutes and six seconds in the last game on the PK. That is great stuff from your fourth-line center, and, and he's not looked out of place either. So right down the middle for the Penguins, huge strength. Broussard's a big part of it. I think that two of these three have been really good all season long, but now I think all three of them have been playing well. Justin Schultz, Brian Dumoulin, and Ole Mata. I don't think Schultz lived up to quite what he did last year, obviously, but he looks to be right back on track to what he's done in postseasons past, particularly last year. I mean, what can you say about these guys, and particularly Justin Schultz? Yeah, you know what? It, it, it's funny because when you look at where he was just, what, three years ago, he was essentially on his way to the scrap heap. The Penguins bring him on board for a third-round pick. They revamped him. He's been such a huge part of their success in the past two seasons, and I don't even beat him up this year that much for, for not having a great offensive year because I don't feel like he got the same opportunities with the power play as he did a year ago. He really rolled up some power play points. And I know that, that a lot of folks hate the plus-minus stat. It, it's not one that you should focus on. But his plus-minus in the second half was outstanding. And he's got one of the better ratings over the entire league since he joined the Pittsburgh Penguins. So to me, if nothing else, it says he's on the ice for a lot of goals for, not that many against, moves the puck well. His teammates really appreciate his ability offensively. And you know what? You can see Sergei Gonchar's influence on him on the power play when he plays catch with Evgeny Malkin. You don't have another defenseman on that team that lays those pucks in there for Gino mm. to hit the one-timer as well as he does. He puts it right in his wheelhouse, doesn't have to adjust too much, and they score like that. So uh, Justin Schultz has been a really a really nice uh, story for this team in the playoffs so far. And I really, I just think he's had a good year overall. It wasn't quite what it was last year, as you said, but he's going to be a big part of their success in these playoffs if he can keep playing this way, Adam. That Malkin goal that you referenced, Brian, remind me a lot of the goal that Carlson scored in the playoffs two years ago for the Capitals, where they had the five-on-three, and everyone in the world thought that Ovechkin was going to shoot it, and they swapped spots, and he just teed it up. That's exactly yep. what that reminded me of. Yeah, that's a great example. I mean, and, and that's what happens when you have those guys that, that can all shoot the puck, specifically if you have what is sort of known as a one-dimensional power play, at least when you look at the film, because that's why it works for the Caps. That's what happens with Obi every time. They get it to him, he, he launches it, he lets it fly. Uh, and it, one, to that point, I don't know if you noticed this the other night, and I think it's the goal that maybe Obi fired that uh, Ian Cole could have blocked for the Capitals the other night. Well, he thought he was going to crush it with his typical uh, one-time velocity slap shot. He sort of slowed that down and took a wrist shot and still picked the short side. That's how, how you got to do things. you just got to change what you do regularly every once in a while. That's why it works with Carlson. 
That's why it's working with Gino and Justin Schultz, because you don't know which one of them is going to take a shot. And that's why I said what I did about Phil Kessel, because if you can stir him in, you got a guy in three areas of the ice that can shoot at any moment. That's going to keep a PK on their, on their, on their toes. Last thing here for you, Brian, because I'm up against it, but you just made me think of something. Changing something just for the heck of it is something I think that Mike Sullivan's really good at. And he shuffled all three lines, the top three lines, in game number three. And I think it just keeps the Flyers on their toes. I think it keeps whatever playoff opponent they're facing on the toes, makes them react to you as opposed to vice versa. I agree. Um, I, I love seeing Phil Kessel back with Evgeny Malkin. I mean, that was something we hadn't seen for a little while. It, it's just, you know, he, he's going to change throughout the game. He has his pairings that he really likes on the blue line. He likes his line a certain way, and he always tends to sort of flow back to them a little bit, at least from time to time during a game. But I love that he switched things up because that did sort of give the Flyers something different to look at. And it didn't work perfectly for the Penguins in the first period, at least early. But as soon as they got the lead, everybody just seemed to let out a big exhale, and they played Penguins hockey again. And those new lines really seemed to help. So I'm looking forward to seeing how it works moving into, into game four. Specifically, maybe with a brassard rust combination can do with Connor Sherry. That's something that looks like it's starting to get a little chemistry for this team, even when you look at some skating practices. So I, I think that that's a good third line for this team to combine with what the top two lines are doing. Keep your head up out there, Mets, because Gudis could be right around the corner. You know what? I, he, he's waiting for me outside my car. I'm, I'm scared, Adam, but thanks for this. Good luck, my friend. Brian Metzer of the Penguins Radio Network. Always a pleasure chatting with him. Coming up next, I've got so much planned for the next segment. I'll tell you why Philadelphia isn't a scary place at all for the Penguins to play, and I just, I gotta take out Radko Gudis. I mean, that son of a bitch. What an absolute moron. It's the Crowley Show. NBC Sports tweeted out the top 10 markets through the first five days of the Stanley Cup playoffs. Pittsburgh's number one. Buffalo, number two. That's because they're a Canadian market in the United States. Nashville, distant third. Then Boston, Providence, and Fort Myers, Florida. I'm guessing that a bunch of old folks just fell asleep with the Golf Channel on. And by accident, Stanley Cup Hockey wound up coming on. Radko Gudis hurt Sean Couturier in practice today for the Philadelphia Eagles. And they're actually the Flyers, but it matters not. They might as well be the Eagles because they're going to lose the series. And you could put all the damn Eagles out there on skates and, well, same thing would happen. But I'd like to thank him personally for the city of Pittsburgh to hurt Sean Couturier. I would also like to say, what an Tom, be ready with the dump button over there. I almost said something bad. What an absolute moron he is. What an absolute joke of a hockey player. Number one, he's not good. And we've all known that. He's never been good. Now he's getting up there in age, and the guy stinks. He stinks, he stinks, he stinks. That third pair is a disaster. And it's one thing if Claude Giroux runs into Sean Couturier during practice. You can deal with that. Claude Giroux is a great player. Hurting another great player, ah, sometimes accidents happen. But when you've got blockhead Radko Gudis skating around like an invalid, and he hurts one of your best players, then you got to be pissed if you're a Philadelphia fan. 
Number one, you got to be pissed because the guy's on your roster. And then number two, what's he even doing? Again, the video posted at underscore Adam Crowley on Twitter of this guy just being a colossal ass clown. He's going for a puck, but at the same time, he's playing the body of Sean Couturier. Bro, just don't reach out for the puck. If it's a game, reach out for the puck. But if it's practice and one of your best players is coming down the pike, do not do it. Have the wherewithal to know where you are on the ice, to know that you can't be hitting that guy. Spoiler alert, they're wearing orange. You can see it from space. If they took the top off of the damn Wells Fargo Center during a Flyers playoff game, you could see it from Hubble. You could see Couturier out of the corner of your eye, Gudis, you moron. But that's just what makes the Philadelphia Flyers the Philadelphia Flyers, right? It's one of the reasons you hate them, because they do it all the time to Penguins. They hurt Penguins. They, up until recently, played a style of hockey that I thought fell out of vogue 40 years ago. Now they've changed a little bit, but it's the reason we don't like them, and it's the reason why they've been so futile since 1975. They are loath to change their ways. They're loath to get rid of that enforcer D-bag. And yeah, they try to hide him on their bottom pair, but didn't hide him well enough in practice. Total failure by the entire Flyers organization. And for that, I'll thank you. Thank you, Radko Gudis, for making it even more difficult for the Flyers to come back in this series. But just typical Philly BS. It's time to get pucked up with some of the best damn hockey talk on the planet. You go to the box, you know, uh, you feel shame, you know, and then you get free. This is the 5-Minute Major with Adam Crowley. Coming up in 10 minutes, we got Dale Lawley from DKPittsburghSports.com to just put a nice bow on the James Harrison situation. Before we get to that, though, the Penguins were bad on the road this year. Bad. Awful, terrible, the worst among playoff teams, and really, it's not even close. They were 17, 20, and 4. But not in Philadelphia. In Philadelphia, the Penguins aren't scurred. In fact, the Penguins have thrived, scoring 15 goals to 4 for the hometown Flyers. Penguins are 6 for 13 on the power play in Philadelphia this year. The Flyers are 0 for 15. Here's why I think that's the case. The captain hates that team. The captain hates that city. The captain hates those fans, and he sets the tone. Crosby had eight points in the three games in Philly this year. You're not going to win whenever the best player goes off like that if you're Philadelphia. Sid drives the car. He ain't afraid of playing. Those mouth-breathing sons of bitches. In fact, he welcomes it. Sid's got 16 points in seven games against the Flyers overall this year. Now, according to Jason Mackey, Crosby loves urinals. He loves whenever they try to prick him and prod him. Beyond that, though, Sid's line has been matched up with Giroux's all series long, and Crosby has not been scored on by the Flyers in the 5-on-5 situation this year. That's staggering. Flyers tinkered a little bit in practice today to try to fix that, to try to get more push with their top line. If Couturier's out, well, they're effed. But prior to his injury, they slid Voracek up to the right wing of that top line, so it was Giroux, Couturier, and Voracek. I don't like that idea for them. That gives them all their punch on one line as opposed to trickling it throughout the lineup, but I suppose they've got to try to do something to curb Sid. 
That made their second line, Konechny, Patrick, and Simmons, pretty good. But then after that, it's ass. Wheel, Philpilla, Raffle, Lawton, Laterra, Reed. Reed is good on the penalty kill, but that's about it. That weakens the bottom six significantly. Crosby's line's just eating that Couturier line alive. And it would happen even more so if, as they call him, Coots was out. The trickle-down effect would be catastrophic for the Flyers. Got some more notes here on the Penguins. I think the series is over. I do. If Couturier's healthy, it'll be a fight. If not, I'm sure they'll still put up a fight, but it's over. Mike Sullivan said that Game 3 was the best game for Derek Broussard since coming back from injury. And I agree. He scored a goal set up by Phil Kessel, but it's difficult to play at the level Broussard played at when you're shuffling the lines as much as the Penguins had to because it became a special teams game. 25% of the minutes, or 25, pardon me, minutes in that game were special teams minutes. And Broussard's part of the penalty kill, so he's playing with not traditional line mates there, and he played a bunch on the power play as well. Again, not traditional line mates. It worked out. He scored a goal, but I do think he played well 5-on-5 and otherwise. How about around the league? New Jersey came back to win their first game of the series And the power play, again, like we've seen around the league in the playoffs this year, was, I think, the big reason for their success. Taylor Hall scored a goal, then he set up the game winner. Just uncharacteristic penalties for Tampa down the stretch. They show that they don't know how to close a game if they need to. And I think that should be worrisome for Lightning fans. The Leafs, they gave up 42 shots. They still beat the Bruins behind Anderson's strong play in net. Austin Matthews finally made his presence felt in the series. He scored a goal. That place was on fire. I think they've got a good shot to tie that thing up. And not the series at two before they head back to Boston where they got absolutely smoked. How about those pesky abs? They were up 3 nothing in the first period against Leaky Pekka. Remember that guy? Leaky Pekka. Leaky Pekka. Leaky Pekka. They held on to beat the Preds, and that's been a great series to watch. The Avs are a tough team to play against. They can skate. McKinnon was maybe the best player in the league this year, and he showed it last night. That's been a hard-fought series. Tonight, though, Washington, speaking of not being able to close games out, they'll try to win for the first time all series against Columbus. It'll be on the road. It's been a classic capital series thus far. Hashtag all caps. And let's see if the Kings can stave off elimination. If not, they will be eulogized tomorrow here on the Crowley Show. Coming up next, we talk to Dale Lawley of DKPittsburghSports.com. Is that Harry in there? We got Harry back. Yeah, he just walked through. He Walk, just walked just in, the came door. in the door. A little late today, Harry. Hey, Harry. He's usually here by 145, drunk as a skunk. Didn't see him until just now. Fired up about that. Maybe we'll hear from him coming up in the next segment. But we've got Dale Lawley of DKPittsburghSports.com to put a nice bow on the James Harrison saga. It's the Crowley Show.